0: I was born in Karawiruk, in the townland of Karawiruk. And when I looked out the window in the morning, the first thing I saw was Mon the Bog. There is 365 acres in Mon the Bog. I remember as a child, we used to remember the size of it because we said there was an acre for every day in the year. That was the bog of the wild oak. Now, when I grew up, I remember we call it the bog and we call it the mountain. It was a place where men worked and where children played. And I could really look back and say that the happiest days of my life were spent in the bog and its surroundings.
1: Just walk into any bog around the country and you get a sense of being in a special place. The black bank of turf stands before you as you walk on the purple heather, soft grass and mossy banks, where the bog has been cut away. Tiny flowers fleck the ground at your feet, where insects are busy. Overhead, the lark finds his spot and sings his song. It's a warm, familiar place, yet you sense the danger where the wet moss squelches underfoot. Around you, tree stumps from an ancient forest have been revealed, reminding one of the generations that went before. Thousands of years of life, Below the bog. Our past, our ancestors, long since covered by the bog. Yet, you're in the presence of a living tradition the freshly cut turf spread out to dry, groups of men cutting and digging and branching. No easy job, but the life and the laughter flows around the circle of men, easing the effort of work. There's a sense of community. It's a warm, sunny day, and the tea'll be along soon. You're in a special place. And it's that promising time of year again. It's the time for a day in the bog.
2: A day in the bog was absolutely lovely. The smell of the heather. The silence, the peace.
0: It was the nearest thing to heaven. A day in the bog, I can't say it was an easy day by no means. Hard work. You may be sure when, when the evening would come, you would not be sorry to leave the bog, but Nora cycled side by side with
3: me up into the bog. The most of the bogs that I caught in my early days, in the 1920s and earlier, it is growing here. seed now, it is reclaimed, and it is, it is a, a treat to look at it now besides when I see it in my young days.
1: But it's not just those summers, brightened by the golden glow of youth. Every season has its own charm in the wild bogs of Ireland.
4: In the wintertime, of course, it is very dark, dreary, nothing growing in it, brown. In the spring, it gets green, and the heather starts coming up. And in the summer, the heather turns to purple, gets its buds, and the grass amongst the purple of the heather makes a very nice color scheme. Then when the autumn comes along, the heather begins to fade, the colour goes off the heather and the grass turns white into what we call fanan. And the canawan comes up in the fall of the year and you have a white, it's snow white then for about three months until it goes off again in the winter, so you have different colours with the four seasons of the year.
5: My recollections of it are always fine weather. You could lie on the heathery surface of the bog and listen to the song of the wind in the, in the, in the heather, going around picking the the can of wine, the, the bog cotton, as we used to call it, you know, these little tufts right. of
6: right. white. Oh, well, the white, the bog cotton, as we call it. Yeah, there was made questions with that. My mother said she was working in a house, and they was pulled these baskets with and made cushions for the chairs.
1: That's the can of iron?
6: Yes, the white part of the white top. Leave it dry out in the sun for several days and turn it and make, make uh, cushions.
1: You
2: could travel all the bogs here and preferably without any shoes. I didn't wear any shoes until I was 17 years. I never put on a shoe.
1: And you were able to go through the bogs? Oh
2: I I In the mountains. Oh, I got through the bog, yes, barefooted. To the grandest year you ever saw in all your life. To to walk barefooted on the on the on the soft the soft on the moss and heather. And there was no there was no uh, briars or no falls very much in these mountains. I never wore a shoe. But the bog wasn't just for fuel. When you would go down a certain distance in the bank of turf, you would come out what what was known as a krachel of Bogdale, a krachel, of Bogdale. That would be a, a, a butt of a tree, a butt of a tree, the roots and all would be in it, but when you go down a certain distance in the bog, you would come out one of those crackles and it would do you for a couple of years for splinters. So that was serving a double purpose to us, to us fuel and light. You know, the wood was our nature that you could pull it up in strips and that would be very light strips, so it'd be easy with them to keep lighting. And what did you call those strips then? Uh, splinters. Jackery, douche, jackery. Jackery, douche, douche is, 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 is bog timber, bog there.
1: The encounter with the bog is timeless. Ancient skills and rhythms are repeated season after season there's a job to be done. The bog is stripped, the turf is cut, dried, stacked and finally drawn home for the winter's fire.
7: As regards
0: the turf cutting operations, they generally began any time from after St. Patrick's Day onwards. Men were then getting ready to prepare the winter's fire. There was a number of things you had to take into account to be ready for the bog. You had to have your hair knife ready, your laundry and well-edged, your spade ready, a shovel and pikes we always call the implements we use here. I think in places they're called forks. You needed two or three pronged forks for the bog. First of all, you had to come on and dig off using a hair knife to cut the virgil side into small slabs then dig it underneath with a spade and throw it down into the lower portion as you see there now you have the high portion of the bug which we call the high bog, and the lower portion which we call the cottaway out in the bug
8: yeah
0: yes we're now in pole bog yes, yes. in my van going to carry it when you have the bar road we call it which of course is the Irish for the top side but long ago when men referred to the bar road they didn't know that it meant the top side in English because at that stage they didn't know any English it was their language and to them it was the bar road and no more but when that's cleaned off and thrown down into the hall it is leveled where there is what we call a swart to spread the torfa and after that it will be cultivated into land. You will need the three men on the bog, one to work the shlan, and two men to pike. The man with the shlan as you see here, he's moving backwards and he's getting six sods wide across the width of the path that is cleaned off. Strict is what we generally call it. These men would one time a to as unskilled labourers. And I think up, that that was the greatest misnomer of all time. Because like the feelings that likes we'll never see again. There was men who worked in that bog guided only by the sheer act of their eye. And you see that consistent and gradual slope. The high bank is caught at an angle of maybe... 6 to 10 degrees, depending on the nature of the bog. Yes. The reason for that is that the bog will scale and break away if the bank is cut down, plume so as you might say, like the wall of a house. It has to be sloped overhead back. You will notice the slán, if you look at it, that the proper slán is shaped to make that job easier.
1: While the bog is a happy place to work in, only the foolish or the inexperienced would deny the hard work involved.
9: Now the turf is cut in May, early in May, and it has to be tended then all summer. But it's cut. In, in the bog of Allen it's cut. You go down what, about maybe 15 sods down into the, into the bog hole. And you attend to that then all summer, you're one person, maybe. I used to head off in the morning with a donkey myself at 6 o'clock. I'd have maybe a a full loaf, buttered, tea and sugar and milk, and that would be my meal for the day.
2: they go up and they have to do the best of them on their clothes, except their knickers around. They had no shoes or stockings on, and they'd have to go down into the bog, bog, down into the hole in the bog, and they'd dash up the turf with the spades. they take off all their clothes, only just a little bit of a nickel on them. And even they'd take off their shirt because their shirts would get destroyed with the bog, with the bog, Murray, you wouldn't call it Murray, you'd
3: call it a bog stuff. They used to all go well dressed, but they used to carry a suit with them for to put on in the bogs and the ute. Saturday was a great day with them and uh, They'd be, You could see over hundreds of calves in line after each other and they used to very often meet a very bad wet deer there and they were an awful pity for there was no cover in our houses around.
1: Saving the turf was a necessary part of rural life but it was done with skill and pride. Out of the wet bog hole of necessity came a natural bog art that is to be seen at every stage in the process, from the first cut of the slawn to the well shaped turf stack at the shadowed gable of the homestead.
10: There are soft bog and harbour, they call it a hard bar, and there's a, it is like a in timber, they call it a pediwig. What well, if, if, if it was not properly shown what to do when you were young? You'd have to cut the sads and gnarre that they want you, you wouldn't. Well, you'd have to give it up, you'd have to lay over there. Lartimer's in Pike, you myself, we cut a, a trench six to 60 steps long and six bars high. We cut it the one day.
1: What time did you start in the morning?
10: We started about 10 o'clock in the morning. It was the time of the war, and there wasn't so much food in there, but this man passed up in the evening. So I got surprised, because this see the a big trench of turf cut today, we, we cut that much. That's 60 yards long and six six sides down and three feet wide. We was cutting it for another man, you know, getting paid for to do it. Every second half hour, one spreading, and the other one cutting. There was some great men, you said, the good men used to, ah, they, 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 they were, they were great, you know, they were so used to the job that the man that wasn't good, that he'd have to get out of the way or keep, you know, uh,
1: keep back from the blast. Yes.
10: <laughs> <laughs> one man, he was so lucky with this lad that he, he's, he was supposed to cut twenty-two creels one day.
1: Twenty-two full?
10: One day, and then after that he thought, he's supposed to." Just, to nearly a lorry and a half a turf. that time, they used to have what they call a mill. And there was an old woman, I know where she had the trench. She used to have a, a mill before Mass and Sunday. You know, all the people around, she was a widow woman that come before they got to Mass and cut the turf for her. There were so many who cut this turf that they'd ever done about in an hour. <laughs> they called mill donig.
2: Oh, there'd be sixteen or seventeen men in all those mills. And to surprise you how much turf they could cut. They'd cut a countryside of turf where the men that came were able to, to to cut turf. There's nobody able to cut turf now. Why is that?
1: Huh? Why do because, you say that?
2: because 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 they're, they're not they're not able to do it and they don't know how. The thing was that the man'd be cutting the turf and he, 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 he used to say, if you couldn't have a sad in the shillan, a sad in the dank and a sad in the air at the same time, that you were able to cut no turf. <laughs> and they were, they were, that's what they used to do. That's very they, used to have a the, they used to have a sad in the shillan, a sad in the dank and a sad in the air. I wouldn't like to be splitting turf from him. Would you?
11: By God, the old man could handle a spade just like his old man. My grandfather cut more turf in a day than any other man on Tona's bog. Once I carried him milk in a bottle, corked sloppily with paper. He straightened up to drink it. Then fell to, right away, nicking and slicing neatly, heaving sods over his shoulder, going down and down for the good turf, digging.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's a few cool stories I was about to bug, you know, especially when you have a, a group of people like that you haven't met for a long time, you know. We, here we're our neighbours, you see now, you know, we can have a big old. Uh, discussion about the uh, local life and everything, you know? Ground here, you see? you, you hear the lap stand. Lovely. Isn't that beautiful? Lovely. Look at
7: that, there, see?
8: It's 100 feet
2: up there now. And rising. Oh,
5: God. They go so high, you see? They come oh, back yeah. down again. Look
8: at that, it okay. lovely. It's amazing the way they can stay in the one spot, isn't it? Isn't it? Amazing, really. It's amazing.
2: Ah. Well, that's that finish right Here. We're out of that, are oh, you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Are we having another tea time, boys? Another bit of one night.
7: We'll be of
1: for time. Hello. Bogs cover about 10% of the Irish countryside. To other Europeans, Ireland has seemed a unique, wet wilderness. Of course, it is also a valuable resource, and through the work of Móna, which was established in 1946, Ireland has led the world in bog development. But at the other end of the scale, since the oil crisis in the mid-70s... Cutting turf for fuel has become popular with city and suburban families. Times and attitudes have changed.
12: The hard black sod seems lined with gold. Some years ago, take, for example, to be precise, 10 years ago, I come down here on holidays from Wexford, I'm living in Wexford, and uh, people would be ashamed to say that they were going cutting turf. They didn't want to know because of the oil. And I drove back to the bog, and I didn't see anybody cutting turf or no traffic whatsoever and i drove back to the bog two years ago and there's a parking space along the edge of the road with people cutting turf there are mercedes cars the peugeot 404s they're all there and those people they they would feel sorry for you if you said you were going cutting turf. They think you were pauperized.
2: <laughs> the bog trotters they were called and you wouldn't leave
12: it. <laughs> the
1: it was a sign that you hadn't much like yes the sorry <laughs> they're a
2: nickname for them <laughs> they were the lower cat like but now they're delish, with the gold nuggets.
7: Well, in in Dublin City, uh, one or two of my friends, dating from about 1973, began to resume turf-cutting operations in the Dublin mountains. This had gone on during the war, and the, the bank, the average bank, which is leased from, I think, the county council, is more or less standard with others around the country. Uh, People go from Dublin by car um, evenings and weekends and perhaps bring family members and cut turf. I was coming through on a Wednesday late afternoon and there were quite an appreciable number of cars parked on what is the main road across the feather beds so that one had to be cautious in driving. And then in from the road through the the various tracks there were cars parked more or less higgledy-piggledy. And as far as the eye could see, up the mountainside, there were fires where people were having tea, family groups were footing turf and so on. Uh, in other words, the, the thing has become now a, a definite uh, part of Dublin life.
1: So is it possible that our bogs may be in danger of over-exploitation? Unforas Furbaha has listed the bogs on Kipur and the Sally Gap as of international importance. In recent times, a turf harvester, small enough to be towed behind a tractor, has excited keen interest. Will the old ways and the ancient bogs disappear altogether?
8: I walk until six o'clock every evening. By the time I get home, have a bite to eat, sit into the car and go to the bog. It's usually about seven before I'm here. It's eight miles roughly from the town. And I start in, normally I had cut this with a machine, normally we'd cut it with a slant, which would be slower. This year it's the machine, as I say, and I figure like that we'll get uh, we'll get a bigger output anyway. To start with, we will get a lot more turf than we would with this lawn. How much did the machine
1: cost you to do to get all that bank of turf cut now? And
8: well, the actual price for them to cut a, a bank is a pound a yard, and what I mean by a yard is a yard in length by 20 runs of the tractor. In other words, he'll cut 100 yards, 20 runs of the tractor for 100 pounds to remind you of nothing but a, a chainsaw for all and it scoops up the turf in little cups and it compresses it through the tubes and they come out as one continuous row, three, three continuous rows for every run of the tractor. And Remember? then
1: they break up into sausage links as they say.
8: Well they are sausage like coming out of the machine but th- when the weather, when they're dry then they could break in three foot links, they could break in six inch links. But it, it doesn't matter really, because you can break it quite easily, it's easy to handle
13: it. I think the machine, I think the, there's a difference in the machines, an awful difference. The machine that's cutting, will say, they call it sardges, is not as good as the machine that cut the square turf, the same as the schlan. While the machine that's cutting the square turf is cutting the turf in the side of the bank. And the one that's cutting the sarges are up in the top of the bank. Which, after one year's cutting, that bank is no more good. There's a lot of waste in the machine that cut, it, cut the sarges, they say sarges. There's a lot of waste in that.
1: Do you think that the old way will
13: continue? It will hold as long as the present generation will hold. They have no help now like before. They they had plenty of help before but they haven't the help now. And manpower, labour is very dear now. At the present day, a man for the end of the bug, his charge will be 20 pound. It is a different job altogether than any other job. For you're standing and you're working all over body, cutting the turf. And it's very hard work. But you, you, You're throwing all your weight down in your feet and chased.
1: Digging into the bug? Yeah, digging into the bug. And then throwing up the and side. And turning up the side, yeah. Onto the bank? Yes.
13: It's hard work. And at the present day, it's very hard to get anyone to do bug work. The young generation don't want the bug work. For, uh, to the dirty job
1: seems likely that the turf harvester will bring about a major change in the landscape of the bog. Just like the major changes brought about by Borden Amona when their huge machinery moved over the vast bogs of the Midlands and with relentless precision brought over 130,000 acres of bog into industrial production.
9: You had fleets of tractors moving in line. It was like harvesting in America if you like. You had a the the turf cutting machinery, moving one behind the other, in a line across, all across the bog, where you had little campfires, and one or two men working their own area. Now you didn't have that anymore. The old visual scene was a, a groups two, one or two, maybe three men, working each piece of bog, say ten yards wide in a line back along in groups with their own fire to make their own tea, to make their own meal a donkey or a horse drawing the turf out to the the bottoms f- to spread it out to dry, No, that was gone completely They had only machinery on the bog and you had, uh, if you looked at it it was like looking at uh, a desert when the machinery wasn't there a brown desert, you know then you had railways running into the bog. They bought some of the West Clare Railway and used it into the bog to bring out the turf, uh, which you brought with a donkey and boat in the first instance. There was no people. The community thing in the bog was gone, if you like. You had no... You weren't talking to the fellow next door to you. You had no get-together even in the bog itself. The machinery moved in and man moved out.
12: is as on as a bagger which cuts the turf and spreads it the buckets there are cutting into the bank putting it into a conveyor passes through a macerator which pulverizes it and mixes it up and forces it out along a plate chain which carries it out about 60 yards and spreads it on the ground and the discs following behind then cut it into uh, the lengths the right length for sod. the spread out there on the flat after a few weeks depending on the weather conditions uh, the plough will come along and plough it off the flat and uh, eventually after about another week or 10 days of drying it will split that again the dry it even still further and after a few weeks a few days depending on the weather conditions the turning machine will come through it and turning it up for further drying or put it into heaps which the collecting machine the one over there will collect uh, from the ground Transport and convey and form into a rick for storage. And then it's a question of loading with the to the power station.
1: But how did all this rich black bogland come about in the first place?
5: We've seen old people saying what they believed was that um, Noah's flood that brought uh, the bog. Noah's
1: flood was the cause of the bog. But folklore must give way to science in certain matters. Archaeologist, Professor Michael O'Kelly of University College Cork.
5: The starting of the bog is largely a question of climatic change, uh, climate becoming wetter, man's interference with the soil beforehand, uh, causing drainage alteration of the drainage pattern and so on. And the bog begins to grow, perhaps um, half a centimetre in 50 years or so. The vegetation of this year grows up dies down, next year it grows up and dies down and so on, so that the bog is growing upward all the time. Now as it grows anything that has happened in any particular year can become trapped in that layer of bog for that year so that the story of what has been happening over the centuries over the thousands of years is trapped in the bog
10: in the layers of in
5: the layers of peat first of all the pollen of plants trees the vegetation that's growing in a considerable area around the bog you know from even miles away the pollen falls on the bog the wetness of the bog is acid and the pollen is virtually indestructible under those conditions so that A paleobotanist, a botanist who studies ancient vegetation, by studying the pollen he can develop the picture of the vegetation of an area right down through time. Now not only from the, the pollen record but also by doing a radiocarbon date on the peat samples themselves one can establish the the period of time over which the bog has been growing. And uh, some bogs uh, began during the Ice Age, but the majority of the bogs as we know them are later, perhaps some of them beginning uh, 8,000, 7,000 years or so ago. And it has been shown by a study of by Dr. Anne Lynch, down in West Cork, she has shown, for instance, that underneath the peat, a couple of metres thick of peat, uh, she has produced evidence to show that men were cultivating wheat and barley, were farming, uh, just after 4000 BC. And uh, this went on for about 500 years, and finally was completely
1: covered over by the growth of the bog. So the Turf Bank becomes a memory bank, storing and preserving our past, and occasionally it gives out some of that precious information.
5: Some years ago, well, I suppose a good few years ago now, uh, a man, uh, Mr Henry Sweetman, was breaking a sod of turf to put it on the fire in his farmhouse down in, in West, West Cork. And as he broke the sod of turf a whole fistful of amber beads rolled out on the on the floor. Um, another man, Joseph McHugo, um, cutting turf at a place called Derry Bryan near Loch Ray in County Galway, uh, found something like 500 amber beads from a, a multi-stringed necklace. And something like 460 of these have survived and are in the National Museum. Now the peat surrounding that necklace has been radiocarbon dated to about 150 years BC.
1: It's amazing the preserving nature of the bog, isn't it?
5: It it is. Well, the the reason for this is uh, that the bog is waterlogged and organic material, this is wood, leather uh, and such like, uh, these things, when they're in this completely wet, uh, waterlogged um, background, oxygen is, is cut off, and so the organisms of decay can't operate. So organic material preserves extremely well uh, when it, it would have completely disappeared on any kind of dry site.
4: Uh, long ago, there was a great story about the snake created an awful lot of sensation in the district people report seeing Jackie the Lantern and of course everyone followed Jackie the Lantern but no one got Jackie the Lantern.
5: I think it must have been from my grandmother that I first heard of the will-o-the-wisp or as he was called round there Johnny the Boggs and Billy the bow and we used to have a sort of rhyme Johnny the Boggs and Billy the bow will follow you wherever you go This, of course, was a reference to the curious light that you can sometimes see on a dark night in marshy, boggy places. I think it's the methane gas that's rising out of the bog, uh, determined in the bog by bacterial and other action, and this self-ignites as a sort of bluish, whitish-bluish flame that sort of dances around.
1: Of course, this wet and mysterious wilderness that is the bog was often seen as a threat and a danger. Children were warned to stay away from the bottomless pit. Stories like the moving bog of Ghaniw in Kerry served as a warning. The phenomenon of the moving bog has occurred many times in the last few centuries, but in December in 1896, in County Kerry... The fiery bog flowed and the Donnelly family and homestead were covered over by the moving bog.
3: Oh it kept moving, it kept moving gradually because I heard them to say now that you could see you could see the the ditch now the hedge, and the next thing is you'd see the the stuff going right over it, you know, rolling along. Big lumps of bog sort of brought it up as far as I think along the river. Well, of course, it was always, t'was, t'was, you know, people, older people, I heard them say that they, there was always signs that it would, because the middle of the bog, it was it must be 20 feet higher than the than the sides. Yes. And t'was, you couldn't walk it. I remember when I was a gossoon, that you couldn't you couldn't go only so far, up from the brow, you know, where the people was putting turf, because it was like a, a scrawl over going up and down like that. The following morning, I went to, were to others, two or three brothers of mine that was older than me, and other lads out of the village, and it was across the fields we went, and when we went within about, well, maybe two or three hundred yards of where the, it was actually running. Well, I know I stopped I stopped there. I didn't go no further. I was afraid of it would be I could see in the distance, you know. I could see it, I could see it traveling. You know, I could see the big junk stuff running, you know, and see a bush or a hedge. And the next thing is, twas covered with the with the stuff, Do you
1: think? The bog was also seen as dangerous and treacherous by the English armies in Ireland. The word bog was borrowed from the Irish and obviously linked with bog, meaning soft. A fact, no doubt, that occupying armies learned to their cost, while the bog trotting Irish, quite at home in the bog, made their way safely over the mossy banks. So the English always saw the bog as unfriendly and unpleasant, to say the least the word bogman became an insult. But for one of our foremost contemporary poets, Seamus Heaney, it became a powerful symbol and lasting image. Professor Sean Lucy of UCC explains.
11: The word bog and the word bogman in English uh, have this insulting feeling about them. Um, Wild, uh, wet, uh, dirty, um, slimy... uh, he is a, a a poet writing um, in English, an Irish poet writing in English, and he has deliberately chosen to call himself a bog man. And he has decided that he is going to own the bog. He is going to possess it with his mind and his imagination and his vocabulary,
1: and he finds himself and his own past and his own identity through the
11: bog, That's and in right. the bog. He goes back, as in the poem "Digging," he goes back to his father, then his grandfather is digging in the bog. Um, he goes back, and then he goes back way beyond his family. He goes back to the prehistoric uh, the prehistoric world. Here's a little bit at the beginning of Derg, which will show him stripping back the past, going into the bog as, as an exploration of the past. They just kept turning up and were thought of as foreign. One-eyed and benign, they lie about his house out of a bog to lift the lid of the peat and find this pupil dreaming of Neolithic wheat when he stripped off blanket bog the soft piled centuries fell open like a glib there were the first plough marks the Stone Age fields the tomb corbelled, turfed and chambered floored with dry turf comb. So there is the past. The blanket is stripped back and there is the past underneath it. So we find our history, our roots and our
1: identity in the bog. And of course the fruits of our labour as we gather the winter's fuel.
0: Saving the turf then, three weeks or a month after cutting it, went and turned it. Hoping that the weather would stay fine you would go footing it in a furnace time again. Hoping the weather would stay fine. If it didn't my 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 you should you should go again and turn it out footed again.
5: And then when that he be dry you you'll cut it out on the on, on the road where a tractor or a horse and cat could take it up the road. It'd be generally run out with donkeys because the place would be a, a bit on the stop side, too soft for maybe a to up. Weeding
6: the barrow, Pat? Weeding heavy work, very heavy work. But you're bringing it out, you're saving it anyway. I'm saving it, putting it on the road, getting it into a stack. Otherwise, by leaving it in the bog, it wouldn't be worth bringing out, you see.
1: Now, is there a, is there a knack in, in making the reek as well, to let the air go through? Oh, it? there
6: is, there is. You yeah, have to put windows there in the centre of it, you see. What they call high windows, but one or two of them here and there, you see the ways the wind can get through it. Mm. well if you don't, it when it's fresh like that it'll lay on each other. And you'll have no it be impossible to dry it afterwards. But it won't know if that got a good month now in the bog, in the stack there. Be no coal in no coal Newcastle and Tyne or any other way it'd equal it, honestly. Mm. It's a bit of turf now I'll show you the turf here. There's a sort of turf now, and it's one of the best. It's equal to any coal. You could find a way to put yourself just catch That's that right. side. It's hard. It's is black. Is hard, black, and no water'll get through that.
1: Right.
6: And if that gets any sort of fair weather at all, he's improving the whole time. That's pure, pure peat. It is pure peat now. That is. There's no owl 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 grey threads through that at all. Look what you can see there. That's right. And that now, that that nearly busts the range. No call equal to that. Or if you were now making a round of punching,
7: Yeah.
6: you go for them, that turf there now, the black turf. What they call you put KT singing with them. I see. KT is sing like hell if they might get behind her. But not with the grey turf now. The grey turf is no good at all for it. You want you want the wood black turf. So you know, go around the fire a good go, uh, winter's night and have them turf there and have them well seasoned and a good basket of them down. And they got there'd be sweat coming out of you there sitting down there. And if you had an old pint there, sure. Christ. Oh, oh man, dear. It's worth all the effort in the bog when you're sitting down at ah, the fire. Honest to God, that's that's when you appreciate it. I'm out there now and it's worth hard work as you can see there pushing that old barrow through the old soft old mountain. But when there, November's night there, or uh, December's night, Christmas, or around that, and when I have a good fire of that down, and lay it back in that chair, and a pint or a keep Jeez, wouldn't you, you wouldn't call the Queen to your aunt, you would not, honestly God. <laughs>